Welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. My name is Dana Hart, and we welcome you to our next episode addressing recent developments related to UK transfer pricing documentation. In today's episode, we will be discussing HMRC's consultation on transfer pricing documentation that's aimed at strengthening UK transfer pricing documentation requirements and the potential implications for taxpayers. Joining me today to discuss this, I have Matthias Pedavia. Matthias is a U.S. transfer pricing partner and PwC's Global Coordinated Documentation Leader. Also joining me, I have Diane Hay. Diane is a transfer pricing director with PwC UK and is a former Business International Deputy Director at HMRC. Also joining me, I have Maura Parsons. Maura is also a transfer pricing director with PwC UK and she is a former Transfer Pricing Deputy Director at HMRC. Diane is the moderator for today's podcast. Diane, welcome back to the podcast. I'll hand it over to you. Thanks very much, Dana. It's good to be back uh, doing another podcast with you. And uh, today I'm joined, uh, as you heard, by uh, Moira Parsons, who, like me, is uh, from HMRC. But Moira um, was actually in charge of transfer pricing when the Action 13 report came in. So she can give us a little bit of background on why the UK's transfer pricing rules are what they currently are. And then Matthias is here to give us um, his global perspective because he sees what's going on across the world on uh, transfer pricing documentation. And he's gonna tell us how he thinks these rules fit or don't fit with everybody else's. Now, you may, be a little bit uh, surprised that we're doing a podcast on a consultation document on the UK transfer pricing rules, but a bit of a spoiler alert, there's a couple of things here in this consultation document that I think are really quite interesting, and I think it's something that clients need to be aware of, and uh, what are you going to be doing if these rules come in? Um, because I think it raises quite a number of uh, questions. And these are things we haven't really seen that much of before. So we'll get on to that in a minute. But first of all, I'm going to ask Moira just to give us a quick run through of where is the UK at the moment when we look at its position in terms of TP documentation and how that compares to the rest of the world and what goes on there. Thanks, Diane, and hello, everybody. So yes, you're right, Diane. I was at HMRC um, at the time Action 13 was implemented in the UK, but uh, HMRC at the time, we made the decision to only introduce the requirement to file a country by country report and not to uh, mandate master file local files. And that was because it was that aspect that was seen as key to help improve risk assessment within HMRC. And if there was no risk identified, then from an HMRC perspective, it wasn't really seen as necessary to get that master file and local file. Obviously, if an audit was open, then there was already guidance within HMRC guidance as to what evidence, what uh, document should be kept. And the master file, local file guidance from the OECD was seen as helping support uh, businesses and understanding what to keep. So, as I say, it was really the country by country report that was seen as important and that avoided 
potentially disproportionate compliance costs for business. So bringing in master file local file requirements now, yes, it would align the UK with other countries, possibly. But Matthias, I'm interested in your thoughts if that's the case. Thank you, Maura. Thank you, Diane. I'm delighted to be here. Um, yes, it's, it's as, as you said, uh, Maura, when, when we step back and, and look at the consultation, clearly it is even acknowledged in, in the consultation itself that HMRC has done a, like a peer review with other tax authorities, and they realize that in similar situations, the fact of having a more structured and standardized framework on documentation requirements facilitated or accelerated that process of getting the data, so on and so forth. And also, there is a, a certainty level aspect in the consultation as well that they realize that having a more structured framework would bring more certainty for the UK businesses in terms of what needs to be potentially prepared and the like, which is very much in line with the other countries around the world when you have these requirements. They know, we know exactly what we need to produce for purposes of meeting those requirements. Having said that, one important aspect to mention is that even though everyone is talking about master file, local file, unlike what the OECD asks back in when the final report was issued, there is an inconsistent or uneven implementation of those rules. We do have nuances and different requirements in different countries. The US, for example, we don't have a formal master file requirement. We keep the traditional US documentation requirements, for example. And there are a few other countries in a similar fashion. So, so the UK is just catching up uh, in terms of master file, local file, or is there something more here that we should be looking at? Moira, where are we, do you think? Well, I think it's far more than just catching up, as you say. I think we all recognise that HMRC is really focused on transfer pricing as a risk area and as a source of compliance yield. So from their perspective, they see it as paying to get even better at identifying risk and also having identified risk, be better informed at the start of audit so that they can progress them more quickly than they currently do. And so because of that, there are two new elements to these proposals. The first is what they're calling an international dealing schedule. And the second, which is introduced more quietly within the consultation, I think, is the concept of an evidence log. So just talking about that international dealing schedule first, this is where they've they've seen other territories introduce these. And HMRC relies very heavily on data in their risk profiling, very much aimed at better targeting their audits. And I don't think any of us should underestimate the importance of data to HMRC and getting it in a standardized form will allow them to do that analysis far more readily. Um, in terms of the evidence log, I think that's something we're seeing on the back of recent audit experience. And it's very difficult for businesses in finding this evidence retrospectively. And so I think this is HMRC's testing the waters almost as to well, if businesses are prescribed to collect this information up front, it would make it easier for everybody. Okay, so we've got sort of two things going on here. We've got 
the proposal for an, what they call uh, an international dealing schedule for a related party transaction information. And then we've got this idea of an evidence log. Let's focus just for a minute on the dealing schedule. And what we see in the consultation document is HMR talking about being transformative, this being transformative for data-led compliance and risk assessment for transfer pricing, which I think will, you know, a lot of clients and, and ourselves, we've been looking at that and starting to get an understanding of what's happening here. But Matthias, you've seen these sort of schedules elsewhere. What's your view on what HMRC is proposing? Yes. So I've seen these type of forms for over 20 years now. So different type of forms, but it's here, I think it's, as you said, it's called international dealing schedule in, in, in some other countries is special transfer pricing information return. But at the end of the day is a, a form or some sort of disclosure that is being asked for the taxpayers to complete with certain information. And I think what is key here, Diane, is, is the content. Why I'm saying that is, if you go through the, the rest of the world, you will have most of the countries having some sort of IDS or some sort of form, but the key aspect there is the content. What type of information is being asked there? Is more high level or more granular? And that, of course, will create more burden or, or more simplicity when you are preparing it. The interesting aspect is in the consultation itself, in Appendix B, there are three examples of three different countries or forms, Australia, Belgium, and Denmark. And if you look at the three of them, they are exactly the three types of different content-wise requirements. Very, very granular, 24 pages in Australia, when in Denmark is only an Excel file where you have to report uh, information, you still need to report information, but in a less granular and less uh, intrusive way, if you will. So I think that two key points here. Number one is we've seen some sort of disclosure forms uh, before for over 20 years. Different formats have been evolved over the years. And number two is the content. And the third one, which has been also acknowledged in the consultation is timing-wise is this should be part of the annex of the income tax return or should be treated separately and as a standalone form. And you have both uh, situations around the world. And Matthias, what do you think has been the result of having these types of forms and schedules? Is it just data collection for tax authorities or you know, are there benefits for clients here as well? Well, primarily the, the intention is for the tax authorities to gather this data and have more information available, have more visibility to have more targeted analysis and audits. I've seen in certain countries where they collected evidence and data through these information returns and they targeted certain industries or certain structures, depending on the type of information. So data mining, and I think to some extent Mora mentioned that this before, is, is becoming key, getting more information mine the data and see how we can potentially identify areas of opportunities. So then they go to this particular taxpayer and they ask eventually the local file, which potentially support more qualitatively the, the positions that they've been taking. Does it mean that the audits uh, start 
more effectively because the tax authority has already got a lot of data and that they finish quicker because they they have the data to work with because these these are some of the advantages with we're being told about in the consultation document what i've seen in the past this is more an assessment so they can identify more effectively the potential taxpayers or transactions and and then they go through the natural process of our audits requesting the local file the master file okay. going through interviews um so on and so forth what i've seen recently as well is is also having conversations with the counterpart even using tax treaties to get additional information from the from the counterpart and those yeah. were initiated by data mining and analysis of of information returns mm -hmm. for example yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, there is much more information now that tax authorities can exchange as a result of these schedules. Let's have a, a little focus on the evidence log, because I think this is something that the tires hadn't seen before. So this is uh, why we brought you in <laughs> to give you to give us your views on it. But Maura, you mentioned a few minutes ago that this was probably something that's come from a compliance initiative within HMRC. Do you, would you give us a bit of background on, on that and, and the sort of evidence logs that we've seen as a result of that programme? So the Profit Diversion Compliance Facility, or PDCS, was introduced a couple of years ago by HMRC and is seen as a real success story from their perspective. Essentially, they're reaching out to businesses where they have identified a risk of profit diversion and asked businesses then to review their cross-border arrangements and produce a report. And many of these reports have ended up with adjustments uh, to the transfer pricing. But one of the key features of these reports is that HMRC requires an evidence log. Um, and this is the evidence log they're now referring to in the consultation document. So this is very much aimed at distinguishing facts and it's, it's evidencing the facts as opposed to any technical analysis. So if the facts point to one way, it is will show us the evidence um, that lead to that conclusion. It is really detailed. Um, typically what we've seen in these reports, the evidence logs will amount to probably hundreds, uh, you know, it could be over a hundred of pieces of evidence. An example of one single piece of evidence would be a series of interviews with people or email reviews about senior people. So it's really pretty granular stuff. And, and the level of evidence that's required for those PDCF reports pretty much mirrors what we see asked for in audits, although the the benefit in the PDCF is very much that it is targeted by the business. They know where to look, whereas in an audit, it can be fairly random because HMRC doesn't have that good. They don't start off from that good understanding of the business. And I think our experience of putting together those evidence logs is not just that it's the quantum of evidence is pretty huge, but also the difficulties, because obviously this is often retrospective and obviously businesses evolve, their systems evolve. Mm -hmm. So if you ask somebody, can you give us details of the staff, staff numbers or staff in this role three, four years ago, it's incredibly difficult often to find it. And 
So because HMRC sees the value of contemporaneous evidence, I can see that they're saying, well, actually, let's make it easier. I say easier for everybody, but by collecting that information at the time. So it would mean a lot of evidence being collected and reviewed if they go ahead with this. But equally, it would make it a lot easier to defend the transfer pricing if they were challenged afterwards. So Matthias, is this a good thing? You know, if we're collecting evidence contemporaneously, uh, we're keeping it in our little file alongside our master file and local file. You know, should clients be concerned about this? When I read this, and there is a reference to an example as well, and when I look at that, it is very um, burdensome uh, with respect to the type of analysis that apparently needs to be collected on real-time basis. And the way I read it or interpreted it is that requires like a audit file ready type of thing at the beginning. And that would require a lot of efforts, both on resources internally and with ex external advisors to the extent that you are working with external advisors that to some extent is, is counterintuitive with the proportionality and the cost benefit that the HMRC was recognizing in the consultation. So the real challenge that I see, Diane, is if this is something that HMRC would like to see, the, making sure that the, the facts are addressed, technical analysis and compliance with the local regulations, there might be other options available as well. There are other countries that introduce other requirements like either a third party certification that the report follows certain the requirements, uh, affidavits like in Saudi Arabia, for example, accountant report in, in, in India or, like, or the dictamen fiscal in Mexico. There are other means that potentially you could arrive at a similar place without necessarily of incurring all those resources and cost. At the beginning, at the end of the day, this is a compliance exercise. And, and if you look at any multinational that had a footprint in 80, 90 countries with 70 or 80 documentation requirements, if every single uh, tax story would like to introduce a similar requirement, you do the math and that is prohibited in many aspects. That's the, the real challenge that I see here that we might achieve similar goal by potentially implementing other requirements that are in, in other countries. I think HMRC has seen a lot of success with its uh, compliance program, getting these evidence logs in place. So I think they're quite committed to introducing something like that on a, on a contemporaneous basis. So I think that sort of says something to clients that uh, we need to be ready for this. Have you got any sort of final thoughts or takeaways for, for our listeners before we finish? I think for me, Diane, I, it's really this about whilst the UK might be catching up master file, local file, it's really the other new developments that need people's attention. And for me, it would be about start thinking now. If you did have to collect the sorts of evidence HMRC is looking for, what sort of process would be needed within the business? Yes, I agree with Maura. Those are the key aspects. The content of the international dealing schedule, I think that could be a relatively simple exercise. And HMRC is still getting the information that they need or very, very uh, cumbersome and taking a lot of, of, of time from, from taxpayers. 
And of course, where this additional requirement or evidence log or some sort of certification, if you will, <laughs> that um, uh, companies yeah. might need to look at. Uh, those will be in my mind the two things. As Mora said, master file, local file looks like that is very similar to, to other jurisdictions. Um, but those are in my mind the two or three takeaways. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Mora and Matthias. And if any of you out there would like to know more about these proposals, I think there will be a tax alert coming out very soon about this, which will explain more. And uh, if you would like to comment on them, the consultation period is open for the next couple of months. So there's plenty of time to, to have your say. But that's, that's all from us today. And thank you very much for listening. Dana, back to you. Thank you, Diane, Matthias, and Maura for the great discussion. I also want to thank our listeners. If you have any questions, we encourage you to reach out to your regular PwC transfer pricing contact for immediate response. Thank you for listening and have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.